HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org, a nonprofit member-supported radio station. We're millions strong, with folks tuning in from over 200 countries. We are education. We are entertainment. We are the future of food. May is our membership drive. Become a member and support us while receiving e-newsletters, advanced invites, special discounts, and a membership card. We need your support. Visit our website and click the donate button to become a member today. Thank you for believing in us and enjoy the show. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. Um, other than hosting this show, I'm also the beverage director at a couple of restaurants in downtown New York City, Delanima, Lertuzzi, La Picho, and our little wine bar, Anfora. Um, and before we get started today, this is one of the last few days you'll be hearing our uh, little reminder message about joining... Um, joining as a member for Heritage Radio Network. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, heritageradionetwork.org, hit that donate button, and you'll get uh, all sorts of nifty little things, like a membership card. Uh, you'll hear about uh, all the events, special discounts. Um, I was a member before I was a host, and uh, I was happy that I made that decision. Um, anyway, uh, I am just like ecstatic today. Uh, we have on a group of people who are opening up um, one of the most anticipated openings. There's a lot of people I know who are super, super excited about uh, about this team, about the restaurant Ivan Ramen opening up on the Lower East Side later this year. Um, from Ivan Ramen, we have um, Ivan Orkin, the the, the chef. Uh, Bill Reed uh, is going to be running the front of house. Bill is his second time on the uh, on the show. We've had him last year for uh, uh, his role at Brooklyn Star. He's partner and beverage director and does all sorts of great stuff there. And I love uh, Brooklyn Star, by the way. And Mike Bergman is the chef who's going to be uh, running the kitchen uh, down at Ivan Ramen. So thank you guys so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank, thank you for you. having us. All right. So um, this is going to be, uh, for, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, Ivan has two restaurants in, in Tokyo, Ivan Ramen and Ivan Ramen Plus. Yeah. Uh, and this is uh, this is your first foray into New York. What what brought you? What brought this team together? Why New York? How did this all come together? 
yeah, it was sort of time to come back to uh, to New York and uh, you know, get back into the whole family thing and and um, get back to my roots and and uh, and, and play in the New York uh, playground. All right, so you originally grew up uh, here in New York. Where where exactly? In Long Island. In Long Island. In, on the North Shore in uh, Syosset. Or grew up in Oyster Bay Cove. Went to school in Syosset, and uh, you know, born and raised New York guy. And uh, uh, Brooklyn for many, many before Brooklyn was cool. I yep. left right when Brooklyn got officially cool. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I, I can relate. I mean, I grew up in uh, Queens and then moved out to Long Island, and uh, I think Queens for many people still is is not cool. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever reach that kind of Brooklyn cool status. But uh, definitely, people who are looking for interesting food experiences think think uh, Queens is all right. Um, and so, I grew up here in uh, in in New York, made this remarkably brave move to pick everything up and go to, to Tokyo after... Well, you know, the only thing brave about it was that I, I was 40 when I did it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I it was my second time to go and live in Japan. The first time I was, uh, I just graduated with a degree in, in, in Japanese uh, language and culture and literature and everything. And, uh, of course, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I don't think too many college graduates do. And it sort of made sense to go and uh, and go live in Japan and see see what it was like to speak Japanese. Would you say it was during that time where you made the decision that I'm going to go back to culinary? I'm going to go to culinary school and, and no, no, you know, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I was sort of teaching English and you know teaching English, which I, I actually really like teaching, and I think part of being a chef is teaching. Um, and I, I think I'm I'm pretty good at teaching, and and I've, I've really enjoyed that aspect of this job. Um, training staff and working with people and sort of communicating my vision of what I want um, in my kitchen or in, in the front of the house, or whatever. But um, I think teaching English, you know, for me was not all that exciting, and um, I didn't really like it that much. And I realized I was sort of spinning my wheels in Tokyo, um, and so with great sadness, I left in in, in you know uh, early 1990 to go back to the states. Um, and I worked a really lousy job that I hated, selling computer components. Um, and uh, I still don't know what they do. Um, <laughs> but was, uh, um, and I had this epiphany that I wanted to that, to cook, um, and uh, I went to the CIA back in, uh, that was in uh, 90, uh, 92. 92. I mean, you guys are all involved in this uh, project, I imagine, because you truly love food, truly love ramen. I think it would be interesting to hear if any of you had any other also like really shitty kind of jobs before getting into the food industry. And that's one of the exciting things about what we do. We can we can be excited about it. We can, you know, talk about it in our free time when we're not at work with our friends because it's it's fun and interesting and exciting. I I'll start. I uh I worked at Old Navy and I had one of those headsets. <laughs> that's why I'm so comfortable with this headset. <laughs> I was I was actually a um a background dancer for many years. No. Uh, throughout <laughs> high school into early college years. Party and, enhancer. And did a lot of party enhancing. <laughs> Actually, uh, it was I worked for a company called All Around Entertainment that did the metro area. And uh, I danced it over uh, about 100 bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and weddings. Nice. That's incredible. And it was sometimes really great and sometimes really not. He How sold you know, branded thongs. <laughs> mesh shirts. No, definitely mesh shirts. It was really weird because the kids would pick out outfits for the dancers to wear sometimes and sometimes wow. they were really 
and appropriate for my body. I bet you, <laughs> I bet you knew the, the whole uh, the whole album of La Bouche. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, Culinary I, I, was the last thing uh, on my mind uh, until I guess about the third year I moved to New York City because I was still still doing that and I was working in some design, uh, some some art design for uh, Mark uh, Mark Echo's clothing line, and um, out of necessity. To make fast cash, I started to waitering and, and busing and bartending, and then start, started to realize that uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, there's something liberating about figuring that out. You're like, wait a second, I, I can actually do something I really like and right. make, make actually make a living at well, it. Well, it's still entertainment. Yeah. I still find that running the front of house in any restaurant is very much like a play mm-hmm. or like a dance uh, recital where you're you're taking care of people and you're educating people, and then. You know, the good thing about it is 40 minutes, 50 minutes, they're gone, and you get to take care of new people, and it's it's really exciting that way. That's the new restaurant, Billy Dances. Right. No. <laughs> All right, new Mike. Uh, I never had anything too embarrassing. and uh, As a kid in the summers, I was, like, essentially a janitor for a few summers. Uh, that's about it. I thought it was pretty cool, though. I think that, at least for me, it was cool to see... Uh, all the behind-the-scenes uh, stuff going on in the school when you're in, like, eighth grade. You go through teachers' desks, things like that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and your and your first re- first restaurant job? Uh, dishwashing in Portland, Oregon. I've started dishwashing, then worked in a hotel, and then uh, the first job I really liked in a restaurant was at this bakery called Ken's in Portland, Oregon. Nice. Uh, yeah, Gabe from uh, Gabe, my business partner, the executive chef, also got his first really great restaurant job in uh, in Portland. Um, but so going back to you, Ivan, uh, you 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 finished culinary school um, and then got a job in some of these great restaurants in New York, uh, uh, Lutes, Mesa Grill, uh, back in the day. Well, back in the day, I mean, this is back. Yeah. This is twenty five years ago, um, and it's very different now. You know, the world, the, you know, back then, the great, you know, in cooking school, most of the, the teachers were Austrian or German or French, um, Swedish. There weren't many American chefs and, you know, you know, uh, uh, um, um, what's his name? Forgioni and, and uh, some of these guys who were, who were coming up, those were the guys that were sort of leading the trail. But it was still very early and, you know, American cuisine didn't exist practically um, but most of me and my friends, we were sort of on that that uh, whole fine dining trail. To uh, and um, I did my externship at Mesa Grill. Um, um, actually, went to try to get a job at uh, Bobby's uh, then wife at uh, Montrachet and uh, at Deborah Ponzak, and um, and she didn't have any. She had just filled the last position she had free, but she said, you know, my 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 husband Bobby might have something, so she called him, and I went over there and. Um, that was a great job. I learned a lot there. And do you think that it's important for young chefs, uh, even if they want to do a more casual kind of food or something very specific like ramen, to have a basis and a background in classical French or some sort of finer dining restaurant? No, I don't, I don't know that I would say that. I would say that, that cooking is a really serious thing, and it's like, it's like music or anything that requires a base level of knowledge. You know, I mean, it's it's I mean, there are some people that are, you know, good at anything off the bat. And those are those people. But most of us, me included, you know, you have to do things like cooking over and over again before you can actually start to understand flavor profiles and understand how to coax flavor out of things before you can start, you know, 
doing things well. I just think, and I come from the old school. I, I like I said back then, you didn't work you know three months and put it on your resume and say I worked there and you know you you know you you worked and you didn't tell the chef that you had a great idea because you'd get smacked in the head and probably sent home with your knives in the street. Yeah, well, I'm personally really curious about your time at Lutes. Uh, I just. Every year I, I help out at this um, event for the University Settlement, which is just a, a, a great foundation. They provide low-cost housing for, for people and, and just life services as well. Um, and to thank me, they gave me this gift that was, I think, not equal to the amount of service that I provided. But they gave me a wine list from Lutes from 1962. Wow. Well, that's kind of cool, though. Incredibly cool. I feel almost guilty having it to myself, and I want to uh, perhaps find some place that where I could donate it like um, maybe Aster New York collection. Library the Aster collection yeah. it's a great cookbook collection okay yeah. oh well it's menus oh it's it, at the main branch it's really cool at the New York Library yeah. in Bryant Park I, Aster collection you, you're going to be hearing from me I think they have one of our early Delanima menus uh, but what was it like that was one of the last uh, really great well, old guard well, I th- and I th- yeah and I think that part of the way I see things is when you work I mean how do you describe it? I mean, by that time, it was it was already sort of on its... It was it was just a le- legendary place, and there were a lot of new places starting to come up. And But but he was he was a larger-than-life... He is. <laughs> I, I don't want to put him out the pasture. He's still a very active chef. But, you know, he came down every single morning at 9 a.m., like clockwork, and checked which customers were coming in, which which regulars, and what had to be made, and... He would call the fish company and do whatever he did, but it was for me it was very impactful um, to see the way he worked and uh, um, very impressive the way he uh, he would sort of uh, walk around the dining room and uh, um, greet customers, which uh, um, his sense of hospitality was was really impressive. Cool. I have a, a question here from one of our listeners, uh, actually from. A friend of mine, Scott Sosman, who's the uh, the general manager of Colicchio and Sons, which is a great restaurant. Yeah, uh, I've been there. Gabe, uh, Gabe, and, and his wife Catherine go every year for Thanksgiving. It's uh, it's an awesome place. He wants to know um, for people who don't subscribe to PR machines, how do you feel about all the hype that that you guys have been getting? Well, I don't, I, I don't, I don't have a PR machine. I mean, I'm, you know, I. Uh, I've always had a rule. I, I, I had, I've had very successful um, media experience in, in Japan, um, and uh, I didn't have anybody helping me there either. Um, but I, uh, I tend to respond to anybody who writes with something reasonable, um, you know, interviews and things like that. I, I respond to them all. And, and in Japan, you know, I did interviews with people who had little tiny journals, and I, inter- and I you know, I was in the... Uh, Tokyo, the Toyota Auto Company's uh, um, company, you know, monthly magazine, which I thought was so interesting because 30,000 employees read it every, every month. And so I would have such an interesting array of people because in, in Japan, so the ramen thing is mostly, you know, the ramen media is limited to people who want to eat ramen. But for me, I was able to sort of reach out to a lot of different people who normally would never eat ramen. Mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of really interesting customers come uh, to my restaurant. And uh, I mean, for, I'm a business person. To me, you know, all that media, what does it really mean? Well, I want people to come and come to my, my establishment and try my food and, and, you know, become a customer. And did you find in, in Japan that people pay attention to ramen the way that we do here in New York? We're kind of overanalyzing 
pizza or hamburgers. Oh, and people get yeah. excited and argue about it. And I had one guy it. write on his blog that he he, he should have seen. He said, "Well, I think that the katsuo bushi was about seven percent." In the soup and the noodles, I would estimate were fifty-five to sixty centimeters long, and I mean it was just—it was like the most anal thing. And you'd watch these guys eating the food, and they'd be sniffing their ladle with the, the you know, and uh, pretty, uh, pretty intense um, judging of the of the different uh, qualities of the of the stuff I was making. So you and Mike just got back from uh, from Japan, and Mike, tell me about some of some of your experiences while you guys were there. What were you doing? Were you doing more research for, for the upcoming restaurant? Was this a, kind of a pleasure trip to uh, relax a little bit before the insanity of opening up a place? Uh, it was definitely for business and pleasure. Uh, I think for Ivan, it was more the escape. I was super excited to go. It was my first time. Um, spent some time in the shops. Uh, spent time exploring. I went record shopping. Went to... Um, What's the name of the the Bowery area? Kapabashi. Kapabashi, which is just like the Bowery times 200. Uh, it was really cool. Picked up a bunch of stuff for the restaurant and just for myself and gifts and things. Um, what kind of stuff we, did you pick up? Uh, we got some uh, small stuff. Like we got specific uh, ladles. I got like uh, sushi presses for uh, uh, sushi uh, batara, like a press sushi. Uh Little gifts. I got these really cool uh, bottle openers to give out as gifts. They're huge and have these red tassels. I forget what they're called, like Bad Rabbit or something. They're really cool. I don't know, just little things like that. And I got a, a knife, which is always, you know, I think pretty cool to go to Japan and get a knife. Oh, yeah. Was it? Who, wh- who's the knife from? Was this uh, some random guy or what? Or did no, you it was, s- uh, seek out someone? It, no, it was the one shop there that had people that were actively speaking English, and uh, so I could talk to them more. I was actually surprised. Um, you can if when you, if you're in New New York and you have access to Corin, you can you have access to most of the knives that are available there. Mm-hmm. From what I had seen, um, you can get some cheaper there. Um, I got I believe the brand is called uh, Sugimoto, and it was made in that. Uh, in the neighborhood, uh, Tsiji, that's how you pronounce it? Where Tsiji. the fish, Tsiji. Kiji. Uh, it made in the neighborhood where it's the famous fish market mm-hmm. in, uh, in Tokyo. So I thought that was cool, but also it was just, I did, I learned that after I bought it. Um, I just needed a specific knife and this seemed to be the best one. Nice. Well, we're going to have to take just a quick break. Um, and when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about the beverage program with Bill and, uh, Hang on, we'll talk to you in just a minute. This one's called Happy by Jerome LOL, and you are listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. 
Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. We're back on In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I have the team from Ivan Raman here, and they were just telling us a little bit about uh, their trip that they just took to Japan, a kind of research trip. And uh, uh, Mike, you were telling me that you had some pretty interesting dishes while you were there. Yeah, I got to knock a lot of things off my to-try list. Uh, we had whale, chicken sashimi, uh, raw horse, uh, sea cucumber, uh Pig uterus, uh, tons of stuff, tons of awful. Wow, this sounds like an Andrew Zimmern kind of show. <laughs> it was really <laughs> surprising the way it's handled there. I, I feel like it was just interesting for the texture mostly. Like the flavor of, of a lot of the food was very subtle and things were marinated or... Uh, aged. Uh, yeah, aged or mm. just processed in a way where they were... The flavors were very, very subtle, and uh, it was more all about texture. Like, there's funkier tripe at a lot of restaurants in New York than any, way funkier than anything I ate while in Japan. And were, were these kind of everyday foods, or was this definitely like, that is the weirdest thing on the menu, and I'm curious, I'm going to try it? Um, most of the places we ate at, I couldn't read the menu at all, but it, this was all on the menu. It was, it was restaurants that were specific to these things. Well, we went, we, I took him to, uh, one place the night before we left. I went to this, um, awful restaurant that just specializes in all, all of that stuff. But, um, and then we also went to, uh, a standing bar that specializes in anything made from the pig or from the cow. Um, so they, you know, and you know, in Japan, a lot of times they, they, they break everything down. So you can go to, you can go to yakitori place where they use every single part of the bird and then maybe it'll come out as a course, you know, um, and, uh, you know, they break down the intestines in many different parts of the intestine. Whereas, you know, in, in the States that might be considered racy or weird or whatever there, it's just, you know, it's well done. Everything is made in a way that it's really not stinky. It's it's mm-hmm. it's it's uh, the flavors are subtle and deep and and delicious. The only time I've ever seen uh, breaking down the intestine in different parts was at a restaurant here called Takashi. Yeah, that's and there. Takashi here is a phenomenon, but in Tokyo it's pretty. It's just really common. It's, wow, that blows my mind. Yeah, uh, and then Bill, tell us how, about how how you got involved. I know you from Brooklyn Star, which which I love. Um, and uh, just a great na- kind of neighborhood Brooklyn restaurant that everyone loves with a really interesting wine list. Great. Uh, I was telling my uh, one of our bartenders at Anfora that you're going to be on, and she was really excited. She's like, I love that place. You can go at like 1 a.m. and get like something great pretty much any night of the week. Right. So open late, great food. Right. How did you get involved in, uh, in ramen? Um, really easily. I responded to a... Uh a, an ad uh, that Ivan had put out looking for a general manager. Um, we at the Brooklyn Star are doing really well a, you know, our, into our third year, so I really had uh, an itch to start a new project, uh, one that I wasn't financially involved in, one I could just really just get emotionally attached to. Um, I've been reading about Ivan uh, for about a year, and I saw the ad, I said, I'll never get this job, but let me just see what my resume looks like. Uh, threw it there, and uh, I think within like a 24-hour span, I got an email back 
which was really awesome. Um, my and, and, and as far as the Brooklyn Star goes, um, you know, that late night program is something that we started, and, and we weren't sure what was going to happen. And so it's really nice to hear that your friend friend likes coming in late. Um, I've never ever tackled this pantry before. Never worked Japanese. I didn't really know too much about ramen. Actually, had my first bowl of ramen uh, the week that I met with Ivan. Uh, I was going through. Um, my wife was actually in the hospital, uh, about to give labor, and I was interviewing with uh, Ivan at a, a corner coffee shop, uh, which was really exciting. Um, and uh, you know, the more and more I talked to him, the more I understood exactly what he was looking to do and where I was coming from. And it really seemed like a good fit, a good match. Um, he, you know, obviously his shops in, in Tokyo are much smaller and don't really have too much front of house mm-hmm. service. Everyone kind of orders from a machine and, and gets a ticket and gives it to the, the ramen the ramen guys. And, and, and that's that. Um, as far as here, we really want to provide a, a really good, um, slick, straight to the point service. Let the food uh, do the talking. And the servers just be there to support and, and walk you through maybe some of this food you've never heard before or, or the beverage list. Because uh, most ramen places that I've been to in the city, are it's very straightforward list. Uh, you don't really have anything more than a couple wines or maybe a couple soft drinks. Nothing mm-hmm. nothing too crazy. And tell us about that, that beverage list. I always found that pairing soups with drinks could be, uh, or broths in general with drinks can be kind of challenging. I always fall back to anything that has bubbles um right. but you have some time right. to to dive into that a little more right. deeply right well, well once again like le- learning from ivan of, of of his flavor profiles and actually getting the opportunity to go up to his house in dobbs ferry and eat a lot of the food and and kind of see where his palate was coming from and and hear what he'd like to drink with the food which is something that's more drier and more crisp mm-hmm. um a little bit medium acidity as opposed to something so high in, in acid um, is something that we were looking for. Um, you know, we're going to have a six six draft uh, line system at our shop here in the LES, and you know, we're going to do really good beers, and we're going to have um, some wines on tap, which is really exciting, um, and then obviously some some hard ciders. I think cider is a big go to with with his with his food or any ramen. That, and therefore, um, also obviously your original uh, sake really goes really great with this stuff so i'm really curious about this uh wine with not too much acidity thing um and i'd love for you guys to to tell me a little bit more about it but may i take a guess as to where this comes from because with some of the fattier broths i i really do like some really crisp kind of wines because that fattiness really coats your mouth and then the acidity just kind of cleans it off a little bit but i know that you're Kind of scaling it back on the on the fat and doing something that's a little bit more subtle. Well, and so is that, that the I'm, idea? It's not that I'm scaling it back. It's just that I, I think that there are there are different kinds of ramen. Um, I tend to like a, a, a cleaner flavor. Um, I tend to like food that, you know, I'm a chef, so I, I like to send people home feeling good. I mean, you know. A lot of times when you eat junky food, you kind of cram it into your mouth. It tastes great while you're eating it. And then for the rest of the day, you're kind of burping and you're feeling bloated and, you know, you're not feeling that great. And you say, well, you know, I ate ate barbecue or I ate ramen. So, you know, I guess that's just how it is. But, I mean, I try to think about my food in a way that makes people, you know, feel uplifted. You know, some of my best meals, you know, five hours later, I have a big sheet-eating grin on my my face. and, And I realize, wow, I'm just still smiling about that lunch I had or that dinner I had. And that's my sort of my fantasy about how I, I want 
people I feed to feel. I want them to just, you know, for their their whole mood to be uplifted because they had a great, a great, some great food. Um, and so the food I make tends to be, you know, I tend to use, I think, less fat. I mean, ramen is not a low-fat food. It's never going to be healthy. If it is, it probably doesn't taste that great. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's, you know, I don't believe in low-fat hamburger either. You know, I mean, it, 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 but it's, it is lighter in profile than, than some of the other types um, and so uh, I think some of the beverages we're thinking about um, don't necessarily be, to be don't necessarily need to be you know uh, so high in acid. Um, um, we're also serving a pretty extensive menu that's not ramen. So there's you know there's going to be many opportunities to drink other kinds of things as well, and then maybe get another beverage when you get your ramen or something that would segue very well from some of the smaller plates we're going to do. And they, also the other thing that, um, when talking about. Uh, drinking is something that I learned from Ivan is <clears throat> I think that when you eat at ramen in places in New York, especially the American culture, you tend to eat soup like it's soup and not like it's ramen. And something that I learned right qu- very quickly with him is ramen's supposed to be eaten loud. You're supposed to slurp. You're supposed to enjoy the food. You're supposed to, you know, get in it and um, really uh, is an art of slurping, something that I probably will never conquer but um, it's it's definitely it, it's something that's very similar to drinking, like when you drink wine mm-hmm. and you kind of you know rim the glass and you kind of smell and you kind of slurp and you kind of gargle a little bit in your mouth and swish it around. Very similar. You're in, um, aerating all those flavors and that aromas. It reminds yeah. me of that scene in Tampopo where they have all these um, Japanese women taking a Western etiquette class. Right. Do you remember that? And they're they're trying so hard to right. eat their 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 soup or their their spaghetti. Their My pasta. wife yells at me all the time when we go out for pasta, and she goes, "Don't slurp your pasta." <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, you know, Bill's right. That's sort of one of our themes of this whole restaurant venture is to sort of encourage our customers to eat ramen when it's – while it's really hot. I mean, there, there's really – ramen really – it's you know what? I, I always say this, but my favorite example is that if you're a real New Yorker – I'm a real New Yorker. If you're someone who hangs out in New York and eats brick oven pizza – you would never get a brick oven pizza and, and like push it aside, finish your salad, finish your drink, chat with your friends, and then 20 minutes later dig into your pizza. You know well, as soon as it hits the table, you, you stop. You stop eating your salad. You stop talking to your friend. And you at least get that first piece on your plate and get it in your mouth. And, and you've pro- I've, burned, I've burned the roof of my mouth probably 175 times in my life eating pizza, and I still haven't learned my lesson. Because you got to eat it when it's smoking hot. That's when it's good. And in ramen has a shelf life, so it, it, it's about yeah, it's about a nanosecond. I mean, like <laughs> when when I make ramen, it's hilarious. I mean, when I started this whole thing, and you know, when I started making ramen, I didn't have anybody to talk to. I mean, now I'm friends with all these guys who open ramen, who have ramen shops, and we talk about it. But you know, back then, there's very few books about it, and I didn't have anybody to ask mm-hmm. advice. I just sort of made it up, and. Um, I, I, I sort of have this thing where you know as soon as those noodles come out of the out of the water, I, I there's this this clock that's pounding in my head and it's counting down and I'm like you know the noodles are always, already starting to overcook, and so you know I get it into the broth and I and I and then I get the toppings on it and I hand it off to the customer. And I'm watching them, and I'm like, you know, eat, eat. Which, <laughs> You're getting anxious. I'm getting anxious. <laughs> I'm watching them. I'm like, come on. I mean, I've, I've been known. I, I once had a guy who would get up, and he left the table to go on his talk on his cell phone, and I ran outside, and I said, you know, your ramen's ready. He goes, give me a second. I said, no. 
You <laughs> ordered the ramen. Now it's overcooking on the table. Get your butt inside and eat, you know, eat the ramen. Uh, why, why do you guys think so? Five, ten years ago, New York ramen was only instant ramen, right? I mean, there were a couple of places. And I've never had instant ramen. I have to tell mm-hmm. you, I, I, I've eaten instant ramen maybe four times in my life. Well, you're, but you're making instant ramen. But now I'm making instant ramen, <laughs> which I'm excited, which I'm excited for, and hopefully um, we'll get to we'll get to try it a little later. Um, but now you have uh, round uh, roundups of the best ramen, the best ramen by neighborhood. Um, you know, people are are caring a lot more about ramen. Why do you think this is, and what is what is very different about your ramen from the rest of what's what's going on? In, I mean, in, in New York? In New York, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm... I'm uh, The kind of broth that we're going to be doing is it has not really taken off in New York yet. It's a, it's a double soup. It's a, it's a chicken and a dashi that are blended. Um, and, uh, you know, I make my own noodles. So um, I think my noodles have different texture than a lot of places. In Tokyo, too. My noodles are, are pretty unique in, in, uh, in Tokyo as well. Um, and, uh, you know, it is called Ivan Ramen, so a lot of people say, uh, you know, they say, wow, I've never had that before. I say, well, because I never really, I just thought mm-hmm. of it. And it's, it's, at the end of the day, it's really just my food mm-hmm. in the form of ramen. So it's, uh, you know, and all my experiences of eating ramen over the last, uh, over the last 25 or 30 years. Have you had some experiments that have gone terribly uh, wrong? Of course. I mean, I, when I first, you know... I first started making noodles. I must have made noodles, you know, I made, you know, 50 different batches. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of them were, were lousy. Um, and uh, I, ramen is really complex to get it balanced just right. You know, it's real, a real balance of soup and flavoring and fat and noodles. And, and uh, to have really good ramen, all that stuff has to, has to balance well. And I think also in New York, people love comfort food. And not having much of a background in in, in this in this food, um, it's the ultimate of comfort foods. Wow! Sure. So what you guys probably hear in, in the background is that Ivan is. All right. Cool. So this is what we're doing. There's yeah. a whole method to this, <laughs> and I have to try to remember what the frick it is. But it, so you get when you when you have instant ramen. This is sort of upscale instant ramen. So it's it's already in its little bowl, and we're gonna dump some uh, we're gonna dump some of these dried things in first. What, then, what are the dried? So in the so I just dumped in a, a, a thing of dried pork, which I should have gotten stopped at customs because <laughs> I'm not supposed to bring in dried pork. But you know what? I'm not sure I agree with it, and I got away with it. And then we're gonna add hot water, and then we are gonna go ahead and put this. I have a little fat packet that we're gonna lay on top of it. To uh, here, you hold that, and I'm gonna pour some hot water in. I don't know if this is. I don't think that's enough. I'm going to reload. Okay. So we're going to pour this in. It might just make it. Wow, this is my uh, first uh, Ivan ramen. It's an <laughs> instant version. You want to just dump just a tiny bit more? And then we'll, we'll dump in a little bit more in here. We'll let it sit for five minutes. And then we'll uh, mix it up and you'll have, uh, you'll have some... You can get a facsimile of, of what I serve. So when I did this thing... So I don't like... Instant food. I'll just I'll just step up and say I don't love. I'm not a big instant food guy. Up to the line, um, but um, especially a little bit more. Especially when I uh, a little bit more. Stop. That's perfect. So 
When I started Ivan Ramen, getting your own instant ramen was very rare. It was now it's become quite commonplace mm-hmm. seven years later. But when I started, it was not common for a, a store to get its own ramen with your you know with your name on or your face on the package, and you had to really be be pretty popular and usually took at least three years. So I got this offer of one year in, which I told my wife, by the way, when I opened Ivan Ramen, I said, I'm going to have my own instant ramen. And she said, you're an idiot. <laughs> but, but, you know, but I really wanted an instant ramen because it's, it's, you know, it's a testament to success to have one of these things. Um, and um, they came. So I got the offer. I said I was interested. But I said, you, you, can't, you can't finalize the product without me giving my okay. So they would come in with, a, with what they thought would was good and we would taste it together and I would the first the first four or five times I was like this is really terrible you you know then I got them to put whole wheat noodles in it and I got them to do it with no MSG and um, and uh, after the seventh or eighth time we got it pretty close and and it and it went out and the first first time they did it I think we did 350,000 or 400,000 units and it sold out in like a month um, they have six thousand. It's it's with a specific what? chain. Yeah, it's like only it's only uh, it's only seven. It's like Seven Eleven, but this is Circle K Sunks in 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 Japan. They have sixty two hundred yeah. uh, outlets. So and I walk into one of the outlets and there would be like a life size pop up of me, like you know, with my hand pointing, and there would be like this whole row of Ivan Ramens in my face because my face is on the cover of this thing. So it's pretty. That's incredible. It's pretty surreal, really. So do you think it's going to be harder to open up a restaurant in New York or Tokyo? Well, I mean, I don't think opening a restaurant anywhere is easy. I think, you know, <laughs> opening restaurants is hard and, and uh, food is very subjective and, and there's a lot of real incredible challenges to it. I mean, you know, the great thing about opening a ramen shop in Tokyo was that I never I, – I, I didn't really do it. I mean, it was such a like shot in the dark. It mm-hmm. was. It was sort of. I, you know, my wife had had a great job and she was doing very well. And and I and I and it was sort of a project. And I had saved some money, so I had enough money to open open the shop. But I didn't know. You know, I, I kind of figured it was going to be really successful, or it's going to be a total bomb. And <laughs> so I had some time to open it. We weren't under a lot of pressure to like start making money right away. So it was. It was really a very great, you know, sort of way to open a, open a, a business. Um, and I think that, you know, the good part of opening right now is, is that, you know, I, I have, I have some good, um, you know, uh, build up behind this whole thing, but, uh, and opening a restaurant in New York is, is just as horrible as everybody said. Yeah. They don't make <laughs> it, they don't make it easy. It's just the build you, out. The, can you give us an approximate opening date? Yeah. Well, hopefully mid July. I mean, okay. it's, it's getting closer now. Now, finally we've got, we've gotten over some of the big hurdles and we're seem to be building pretty smoothly now and and if we can get all this stuff you know the food is something that we've we've been working on because we've had time so we've spent a lot of time hanging out and cooking and taught and tasting wines and talking about our service philosophy and you know hopefully we'll uh be able to put it all together and uh, uh that that part i think we're 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 sort of sort of ready on you know w- once we get in there we'll be able to sort of uh, uh lay it all out but yeah. uh, uh you know new york's uh, new york's challenging well, I mean, I, I can't thank you guys enough for being on the show. I wish we could do that that John Stewart Daily Show thing where they're like, you can watch more on the web later on tonight. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, we've got to wrap things up here. Um, guys, uh, Mike, 
Bill, Ivan, I, I thank you so much, first of all, for, for coming on the show. Thank you for adding something to New York and bringing your, bringing your shop to New York. I'm, I'm just so excited for it. There's actually a, we're going to have a sneak a little preview of the menu. Uh, we're doing a, a, Ivan's actually conducting a chef's class over at the Brooklyn Kitchen on Saturday, the 22nd of June. Um, it's going to be really small, intimate, 30-seat uh, gathering, whereas you're going to taste some stuff that are is actually going to be on the menu, which is not all ramen, which is going to be really fun. So you can get tickets at the brooklynkitchen.com. Brooklynkitchen.com. Yeah. All right. I'm going to – and Mike, thank you so much. Uh, we'll be seeing you down at the shop soon. Yep. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to dig into this uh, ramen. And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. Cool. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.